Welcome to the Syndication Closer with Dugan Kelly. We all know that navigating the legal complexities of real estate syndication can be overwhelming. In each episode, we'll provide expert legal analysis, tips, and strategies to help real estate syndicators stay compliant and avoid pitfalls. This show is for anyone involved in real estate syndication, including sponsors, investors, attorneys, and other industry professionals who want to stay up to date on the latest legal developments and best practices. Hi there, this is Dugan Kelly with Kelly Clark. Welcome back to our podcast. Today, we're gonna talk about lessons learned from 2023. So in 2022, we structured over $5 billion in deals for for operators, syndicators, sponsors, sellers, buyers, all around the country in the commercial real estate market. And in 2023, we've structured over $3 billion uh, presently this year so far. And so, out of that, there's some lessons that we've learned about things that uh, need to take place and things that I think that are important for you. And I'm asked by clients all across the country, what are the things, the major things that you're seeing in the commercial real estate market? So if you're wondering what they are, then you're in the right place because we're gonna talk about the top 10 things, in my opinion, uh, that I've learned in this market. So number one, change happens, change happens. So the reality is we've seen rapid and historic rate rises. So we went from, we've seen over 11 rate rises from 2022 to presently, where we were at 0.25% to 5.5% at the Fed. That's, um, that is outstanding from a bad perspective if you're on the acquisition side, nobody, had predicted that. And that has put tremendous strain on everybody's assets, regardless of the type of asset, if you have leverage on it uh, and you're in that floating rate uh, debt space. Insurance costs are another factor. So we've had 20 consecutive quarters by several hundred percent of insurance rate hikes. And so, and there are some markets and submarkets where there's no competition literally no competition by other carriers. So what that allows carriers to do is demand higher premiums than what has been historically averaged for that market or that submarket, And that's, that's a significant change. And then we've seen the cost of rate caps. So this floating rate debt, if you're, if you're somebody who owns a property and you have leverage on it, which is debt, and that debt is a floating rate, more likely than not, that you were asked and have a rate cap put on that. That is basically a hedge between what the interest rates are going to hike to and what they are. And now for a crazy statistic, think about this. A property, a three-year rate cap at 3%, like a three-year, uh, a 3% strike rate for a, one, for a $100 million property, would have cost $98,000 in April of 2019. And now that same rate cap on that same property at the same valuation is $3.48 million. Nobody 
can tolerate that type of stress. Your business plan cannot tolerate that type of stress. So you need to understand and pivot and be flexible and understand that change happens. So that certainly is, that's one of the top lessons that we learned in 2023 that these changes happen. Number two, despite changes, there is opportunity, right? So we just talked about something that was pretty bad, right? The three, three, three big key indicators of bad things. But despite that, I am still very bullish on commercial real estate market. I have clients that sit for a long time on the sidelines with a lot of dry powder and capital, and they are ready to acquire assets. And why? Because there's such massive opportunity out there in the commercial real estate space. We are living right now in the greatest transfer of wealth in human history. In the next 20 years, over $84 trillion will exchange hands. $84 trillion. A lot of that's going to be in the commercial real estate market. So if you're thinking that you need to wait until things get better and then jump into the market, I want to tell you that that's a mistake in my opinion. I think you need to be in the market now or at least looking at underwriting, sending out LOIs that are important for, the, for your business plan because there are assets right now that are able to be acquired at, a, at a, a much discounted price. So you really need to think about the opportunity that really exists out there. So that's, that's the second thing that we learned. And then three, we learned that there's always an adapting to the changing environment. So, right, you always wanna buy a rate cap. So many of you, there are a few of you out there, right, that did not buy a rate cap, even though you had a floating rate loan, because no one predicted this historic rise in interest rates. I'm not here to cast stones at people that did or didn't buy rate caps, but the reality is uh, try to be conservative in your underwriting. Understand that if you're going to be in that type of floating rate uh, stuff, you're always going to want to try to have a rate cap. Think of alternatives for insurance. A lot of third-party property managers have portfolio insurance policies that you might be able to take advantage of. Certainly they're going to expect your business and they should expect your business if you're going to try to take advantage or piggyback off their portfolio insurance policy, but that might provide you an opportunity to lower those explosive insurance costs to be able to actually afford something. And then think about fixed rate or even recourse loans on smaller properties. So many of you that are in the the multifamily space, self-storage, mobile home park, that's the holy triumvirate of qualified non-recourse debt. The reality is maybe with explosion in the, the uh, historic interest rates, you might be able to get a better rate uh, at a fixed level, but it's recourse from a community bank or a credit union. I think you should think about those types of things, particularly if your cash flow and your business model shows that conservatively you can meet your monthly debt needs without any additional risk to the KPs or the guarantors that are gonna to have to be on that loan. So those are some of the things for adapting uh, to the current environment that I think that are, that are very important. Number five, 1031s. There's still a ton of 1031. What we're saying is 1031, we're talking about the internal revenue code section, section 1031 that allows people to defer taxable gain on the sale of commercial real property or other types of real property uh, when they buy like-kind replacement properties. 
In 2010, I'm going to give you some statistics. In 2010, over 170 million was exchanged through the use of 1031. And now in 2023, over $100 billion plus. That's a massive amount of money that's on the street and in the market right now. So if you're not taking advantage of or talking to individuals that have 1031 exchange proceeds that are looking to deploy into the commercial real estate market, I think that you're doing yourself a disservice. But you need to educate your 1031 investors that they need to be uh, prepared to provide information to the potential lender, particularly since there's going to be debt on many of these assets and that they're going to likely be required to sign the carve-outs on a guarantee. A lot of people call the carve-outs aka bad boy or bad girl uh, guarantees. That's where the lender has limited recourse to go after you in the event that one of those uh, carve-outs are actually violated. That's the limited recourse aspect of it. That's the bad boy or the bad girl act. Certainly nobody wants to be a bad boy. Nobody wants to be a bad girl. But my suggestion is that you always keep your 1031 potential investors informed about the process so that, and you keep an eye, your eyes open, your ears open, uh, and be ready to speak with those people for the possible use of their capital. So that's number five. Number six, pref equity. There's, I get asked this question a ton of time from sponsors and operators about the possibility of using preferred equity. When we're talking about preferred equity, there are lots of people have different definitions about what a preferred equity party really is, right? Most, you got to remember that most agency lenders, and we're talking about agency lenders, we're talking about Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, or HUD, are not going to allow you to have a hard pref uh, equity um, investor in your capital stack, inside your capital structure, inside your equity. And what we say is, what's the difference between a hard and a soft pref? Well, a soft preferred equity partner just takes distribution rights in priority to other common equity. And they might have other special benefits, like in the event of a of a, of a monetary default, maybe they've been writ, underwritten as a replacement guarantor, maybe as a replacement manager, maybe they're allowed to come into that deal and replace you. Those are types of things that actually can get done uh, with agency lenders or bridge lenders. But if you're gonna have a, a hard preferred equity investor, many of those agency lenders are not gonna uh, tolerate it and some bridge lenders might not tolerate it either. either. And so some of the warning things or issues that you need to be concerned about when looking at preferred equity is this is really a last resort, in my opinion, uh, or, or this idea that this is an exclusive arrangement. Remember, the preferred equity investor does not have any skin in the game, likely. They don't have any at-risk capital other than what their due diligence expenses are. And more likely than not, they're asking you to fund those due diligence costs. So if you're funding the due diligence costs and you're courting and wooing that preferred equity investor and they really have no risk or liability in the transaction, they're not on the purchase and sale agreement, the, the senior lender may not even know about them and they're doing their due diligence and vetting the contract and you've actually given them money in order to pay for that, that is more expensive than what the retail investor. And yes, I understand that given the size of the property, maybe it's inescapable that you have to have preferred equity on there. And that's okay. 
and preferred equity certainly has its place in the commercial real estate market, but it's super important for you as the sponsor, operator, syndicator, the person that's a steward of other people's money that you understand the ins and outs of what that preferred equity looks like. And, and so, you can, so you can understand whether it might be a viable strategy for you. So that's number six of what we learned in 2023. Number seven, you gotta be reasonable in hunting. Remember, there's lots of opportunities out there, but if you're just getting started in the commercial real estate market or the syndication space, and you're just trying to leverage other people's money, right? Raise money for to reach the down payment, to back into the loan, to get the keys to the asset that you're trying to acquire, whether that asset is self-storage, whether that asset is mobile homes, whether that asset is multifamily or raw land or whatever that asset might be. I want to encourage you be conservative, particularly when you're starting out. So it's not uncommon for uh, people to think to go really big, really fast. And what I want to say is think about it first, pause, maybe slow down, think about your business plan in the market where you're really hunting. And so a conservative formula might be for you, in my opinion, it might be a five to $7 million purchase price where you're gonna be raising one and a half to $2 million or something even smaller. There's nothing wrong with starting off small, buying an Airbnb or a duplex or a, or a quadplex or a small 10 unit apartment complex. And those are very doable, very manageable. A lot of people think that they can't raise capital uh, from uh, passive investors and they underestimate. Most people underestimate the strength of your Rolodex. Most people underestimate the strength of your personal capital, that relational capital, that people like you, trust you, want to invest with you. Um, uh, and so I wanna encourage you that you should be reasonable in all of those aspects when you're hunting for whatever asset you're looking to acquire. Number eight, you gotta be prepared. You really gotta be prepared. So remember, Freddie, Fannie, and HUD are the same regardless of the lender, meaning the servicer. So whether you're gonna go with Walker Dunlop or CBRE or uh, some other lender, the likelihood is the, the, the regulations from Fannie, Freddie, and HUD are not changing. They are saying the same regardless of who your servicer the person that you identify as your lender is often the servicer for the agency lenders and they are the same. And then I wanna encourage you, this is the year of the operator. So if you're, not, if you're somebody that is a little weak on asset management, I wanna encourage you to get more in depth on asset management than you ever thought possible, that you ever thought that you might have to be because this is the year of the operator where operators are gonna distinguish themselves by how they asset manage through the volatility in the capital markets. And then you need to keep lines of communication open with your lender. So a lot of people think close the loan, never talk to the lender unless I'm gonna go for a supplemental loan, a refinance or a sale. And I wanna encourage you to revise that thinking. I want to encourage you to think about keeping those lines of communication open so that if your property falls into distress, or you might need some sort of modification or restructure of your loan, that you actually have a clear pathway, a communication portal with whomever you recognize as your lender on that. So that'll help you be better prepared. You'll be able to be more efficient, cost effective, and more uh, quicker 
to be able to do implement changes that might happen. So that's number eight. Number nine, I want to say this is what I call get aggressive with problems. So I, I call this, this the slow to hire and the quick to hire model. So the reality is when you're vetting potential strategic partners, whether those are property manager companies, uh, rehab consultants, construction, or other types of strategic partners in connection with it, you should be very slow to hire, do your due diligence on people. But if there's a problem, don't wait to make a change. Remember that the, these people might be your best friends. The reality is the lender has the most skin in the game associated with your asset. And the lender has to protect its capital. So if the lender is forced to foreclose on you because you're too slow on switching property management companies uh, and being able to manage your costs effectively, then that will be what happens. So remember, PM, asset manager, shortfalls, capital calls, member loans, follow-on offerings. These are a variety of issues that you might encounter in the life cycle of your asset and you need to be quick to be able to make changes associated with that and you need to get communicate with both your investors, your general partners and your lender. All of the those people deserve your attention. They deserve clear, concise, transparent, authentic communication throughout this. That's number 9. So, number 10, underwriting and overraising is what I'm talking about. So you need to be analyzing the deal. This is one of the lost arts, I really think, in the commercial real estate market. So if you're new and you're getting into this space, don't just gloss over underwriting. Yes, there's lots of software tools out there that can teach you down and dirty techniques about how to underwrite a potential commercial real estate opportunity. But I, wanna, I want you to go deeper than that. I want you to really truly understand how to analyze and underwrite a property, a, a property's performance. And I want you to over-raise. A lot of people have a minimum raise, the minimum necessary to raise to close on the acquisition and break impounds, meaning use investor money for the acquisition of that asset. And then they, and then they stop raising. When in reality, you need to raise more for working capital, contingencies, possibly your fees, whether those fees are an acquisition fee or an asset management fee or an exit fee. Any of those types of fees most likely than not have to be raised. And so the reality is if you're, if you're budgeting uh, and, and your raise in your offering documents, and you've only hit your minimum raise, I think you need to go more and actually over-raise. So underwriting and over-raising are certainly some of the important things. And then I wanna leave you with one of the biggest obstacles that I think that I see that is uh, uh, in the area, and this is this idea of fear, right? So you struggle with fear, I struggle with fear, everyone that's in the industry struggles with some form of fear. That's normal. Welcome to the human race. Everyone struggles with fear. The reality is, are you letting your fear stop you? Are you, are you letting it paralyze you? Are you doing what I call paralysis by analysis, where you're just not able, you keep underwriting, 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 and you're not able to actually get off the dime and actually submit a letter of intent, or meet the broker, or talk with your general partners about a problem, or talk to your investors about certain things. There are lots of fearful things that might arise during the course of your ownership of the asset 
or trying to get to an asset. And I want to encourage you that you're not alone. But I want to encourage you to press through that because only through pressing through that fear are you actually going to be successful. That does not mean willy-nilly going out there and buying everything that you possibly can. No, that's not what we're saying. In my opinion, though, fear is the greatest obstacle to your success. And if you can conquer that fear or at least shine a light on it, be transparent, be authentic, uh, welcome other people into it and share that with people and actually press through that, I think you'll ultimately be glad that you did that. I think you'll be more successful. Thank you for joining us. If you like this content, please like our page, subscribe to our page. We would love to send you more additional free content. Check us out on LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook, wherever we might be. And you can also always Google Foo my name. Thankfully, my parents gave me a very unique name, Dugan, D-U-G-A-N, on the internet. You can call us and we'll schedule a free consultation. Thank you. God bless.